There we go. All right, we're good to go. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday and welcome back to the We Wish You Wealth podcast. Happy New Year. We hope everyone's New Year is off to a beautiful start. You're happy, you're healthy, and the abundance is flowing to you um, from the universe, as always. Um, you have me, myself, Danny. We have Mr. Gordon Chavez. And as you can see, back again, we have our loved and cherished advice, tax advisor, Pamela Ferguson, joining us from Texas. How are you today, Pam? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited about today. Um, as we had discussed last month, tax season was approaching. Now it is upon us. Our favorite Uncle Sam is in town. And, you know, we just can't wait to spend time with him. And, you know, have either pay him money or have him pay us some money. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully the the latter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. He is here and ready to collect. Yes, he is. So based on that fact, you know, um, people are filing individual taxes. Businesses are filing business taxes. Um, so what we have today is, you know, just a rundown of the differences of potentially what you need to do, how um, different things affect the way that you file your taxes. And Pam is going to bless us with all of her amazing knowledge in order for us to potentially utilize these tips to our advantage in order to maximize our refunds in 2024. So with that being said... Um, I do believe that we have a few questions laid out already. I believe we will begin with the individual tax portion and segue into the business. Mm -hmm. um, so let's see, where do we begin? Mr. Gordon Chavez, what do you got for us? Hey, hey, hey Pam. Hi, Gordon. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us, Pam. Thank you for taking time out of your day to, to share your your knowledge, your education with us. Uh, I don't think people realize how important it is that you do your taxes, you do them right, um, and you don't give away more money than you have to. You know, and that has to do with doing it right and working with somebody like yourself that can help you do that. Um, so I, I have one, that, and this one actually, thinking about it, I'm actually going through... And I and I say stuff, and I don't necessarily mean it in a negative way, but there's I've I've I'm taking on new challenges and things like that. And so the question is, how do life changes affect affect the way you fire file your taxes? Um, uh, life changes. That's something that happens every day. Uh, you know, with between our peers, our family members. So that's a very important question that most people don't connect taxes to until the it's time to file the taxes and you're like oh my goodness I didn't realize I will be affected in that way so one of the biggest uh ways or life change is marriage and divorce um many people get married and they think that they continue to file like they've been filing in the past and I always have to have that conversation uh that no things change when you get married now you have an option to file 
married, filing joint, or married, filing separate. You cannot file single or head of household like you've done in the past. So understanding the difference between the difference between filing statuses is a major uh, issue uh, amongst um, clients who are not familiar with their lifestyle and how it affects things. So marriage and divorce is a huge one. Having children, uh, this one, people know because they understand that, okay, I got a kid. Now I get these credits out here. Uh, so <laughs> that's a big one. Uh, so having children, adopting, things like that is uh, a huge effect on uh, how your taxes are filed and you know what your refunds could possibly look like or even lowering those tax liabilities. And another big one is starting a business. Uh, when you start a business, that's major and that's definitely a reason to reach out to a tax advisor to say, hey, this is what I got planned. This is what um, how things look. You know, how should I proceed? How is this going to affect my taxes? So those are probably the four that I would pull right off the top um, as far as life changes that would affect an individual. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ones that I was thinking um, was purchasing a home. That's something as well, right? Because you get to claim the interest or something like that. That is true, and but um, you're right. Purchasing a home is a life change that will affect your taxes or could affect your taxes because they, of course, push the benefits of purchasing that home, which is you're looking at deducting that interest um, and the taxes that you pay on the house. But here's the kicker. Uh, our standard deduction increases every year. And the reason why our standard deduction increase on, increases uh, annually is because that's their way of saying this is your uh, cost of living increase. So a lot of people look for that from their jobs, but actually it's built into your tax return. So that standard deduction increase and what happens for most people, but not all, is they don't have enough that have been paid out for interest and taxes to even affect the tax return. So although that is a life change for, for many people, buying a house is a big commitment, commitment and a big deal. However, most times they don't really see that benefit on the tax return. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, Pam. <laughs> um, I got a lot to think about. No, <laughs> as always. Um, let's see. So we actually, based on the fact you guys were just talking about home, a lot of people put their mortgage or their home into a family trust. Um, does having a trust or a family bank affect the way that you file your taxes? Uh, absolutely. So what is... So here's the thing. Trusts are like a big thing right now and people are excited about it. You know, I think I think the excitement is that people are starting to learn things or hear these buzzwords that are starting to become eye openers for many of us. Um, but what is not talked about is the trust return, uh, which is a 1041. Our individual returns are 1040 and the trust is 1041. So a trust is actually going to tax has a higher tax rate than your individual return. So when people talk about trust and they get excited and talk about transferring all these things over, they really do have to keep in mind that anything over 600 in, in revenue to that trust requires a trust to file the tax, a tax return. And the 
revenue in that trust is going to be taxed higher than it would be you individually. Now, when you're talking about a family bank, um, oh, and for the trust, there's a non-resident, uh, for the non-resident alien, uh, that's a status that people could carry, uh, that trust is required, whether it makes $600 or not. So um, you definitely, when you're thinking about putting together a trust or starting a trust, you definitely want to make sure you got the right people on your team to get that put up, I mean, to get that started. And that's where you're going to be looking at attorneys to uh, assist you with that. But going into the family bank, uh, believe it or not, these are two, two totally different things, but they're always talked about in the same conversation. So in the family bank, um, I have a different concept when I talk about family banks and um, we talk about cash spelled with a K-A-S-H with the acronyms and cash stands for knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits. So when you're talking about that family bank, what you want to do is really focus on having the knowledge and and allowing your children or your family to, to, to be able to pass down that knowledge, to be able to pass down the attitude about money, uh, money, liabilities, you know, as a whole, to be able to pass that knowledge down, the attitude about it down, the skills that you've uh, learned around money, pass that down, and the habits that you've created or working on creating, be able to pass that down. That's a complete picture of a family bank. All right. So in your family bank, there's going to be, um, well, when you, in a family bank, a lot of times in that conversation, you'll hear people say um, the beneficiary is the trust, but that's not a requirement. You don't have to do that. So there's right. ways that you can form that family bank without that trust because your trust is actually um, protecting. It's a protective measure. And then the family bank is where you have um, components like a uh, the human assets of it, uh, the financial assets of it, and then the intellectual assets of it. So family banks and trust is a, a huge conversation that really should be taken bit by bit um, with the individual, the attorney, the tax advisor, the insurance agent, everybody in your in the picture. And so everybody should understand what the goal is in order to properly structure uh, structure those things. All right. I try yeah. to explain without confusing people. <laughs> <laughs> you killed it. I love your um your words that you use for your acronym for cash with a K. Um, you know, um, a lot of us, you know, growing up especially including myself, we've discussed it before, weren't introduced to financial education. So, you know, if and when that, you know, I hope that more people start incorporating these conversations with their children younger. Um, we start, you know, bridging that gap, building that generational wealth. And like you said, adjusting the habits that we were trained to have in order to, you know, have our families now reach new yeah. levels. And, and um, a good um, overview and example of that family bank is um, when you've when you've put everything in place and that person uh, passes away because, you know, it includes an insurance product. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, you could say, well, 20 percent. We will take 20 percent of that 
with what they issue for the death benefit and go and place it on another individual in the family so that you can keep it going, keep the wealth transfer going. So, you know, a lot of times um, that's the part that where the ball, that's the part where the ball is dropped. You know, right. the, the person passes away, the family receives the money. And so that's where cash kicks in because without that knowledge, without the attitude, the skills and the habit, you don't understand why we're taking this 20% out to places on another family member. Well, because we want to keep the wealth going. Correct. Yep. Yes. hundred percent agree with that statement. Um, dang, a lot of, lot of value in that. Thank you. Thank you for answering that. <laughs> uh, see. Yeah. I really like how like comprehensive and holistic your your perspective is on the the family bank because you said you said it earlier regarding um <clears throat> what was it um trusts how it's like these it's these uh what did you say these uh oh man i forgot the term that you said but basically it's almost trendy right these words just start gaining popularity buzzword. online yeah buzzword exactly <laughs> and so it's like you hear it and you're in and you and everybody's got a perspective everybody's got an opinion everybody's got you know and I'm, I, and I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way i'm sure a lot of the folks that are on there they know what they're talking about right mm -hmm. but in general you know if you're in the audience listening and you're like you know i i'm trying to get my finances in order i'm i'm trying to take care of my family i'm trying to you know, make sure my 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 kid's future is is stable or 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 taken care of or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you're getting all this information because there's so much information online, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate the way that you look at it and the way that you understand that trust is one thing, right? That's a that's a legal say document, legal strategy, whatever you want to call it. And a family bank is a very different thing. And and some people, when they talk about family banks, they're they're doing it in a way where where they're they're saying they're describing it one way. And mm -hmm. then the way you described it, I really like that. It was really about knowledge, education, a unity of vision mm -hmm. in a family. Like, for example, me and my wife, we have four boys. And to get six people on the same page and understanding a concept the same way so that we're all in sync, that can be a challenge, you know? And then like our kids are growing up. My oldest is 23 and he's already, you know, he started his own life. And so, you know, I really appreciate the way you, the way you described that. You had said something about $600. dollars Mm -hmm. And that when when it earns when a trust, if I understood correctly, when a trust earns six hundred dollars, is that per year, per month, per year, per year? Okay, yeah. so just about anything. If it's earning money, it's probably going to hit that six hundred mark. And now it needs to the trust as an entity needs to file taxes in addition to your own personal taxes. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I I, I learned a lot on that question. Thanks for asking that, Danny. <laughs> That was a good one. It was. But I want people to understand, too, that uh, in that example or explanation I provided, it doesn't mean that that the trust is incorrect. It just means that each of us have our own goals and we need to have something that's catered to our families. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, and part of that means working with somebody that really understands it so that they're not just giving you one cookie cutter strategy that exactly. they offer everybody. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Let's see. What you got? What you got, G? You got any? After yeah, that, I'm like, dang. I know, right? <laughs> like how that was we, for an episode. No. <laughs> how do we follow that? No, so oh. this one's maybe a little more simple, right? And so you you mentioned earlier that things change with your taxes. And so how often would you recommend people reviewing their taxes to make sure that everything's good and current and all of that? Uh, well, at least twice a year. So every six months, uh, an individual can use, I, I refer this, uh, the IRS site out called Paycheck, Paycheck Checkup on the IRS site, you can simply put that in Google and it will bring up the site directly from the IRS that will allow you to use your most recent pay stub and it will guide you through it. And that's how I show my clients how they can stay on track and they don't get surprised at the end of the year. So if you, at minimum, you can do it. If you choose to do it once a year, I would say do it in October, you know, that last quarter, see where you are. If you're if you're right on track, that website, if you've entered the information properly, it will tell you. If you are way behind, it's going to let you know. It's going to even kick out a W four to turn into your employer. So um, if you're if you're a real stickler and you're on top of things, you're probably going to do it every quarter. If if you're a real planner and you're strategizing every quarter, you're on top of it. And that will be beneficial, too, because it opens up op opportunities for yourself to be able to do something with your with your money um, that could possibly help you earn more money, if that makes sense. Because if we're waiting to the end of the year, if we're waiting to fourth quarter, you're kind of limiting yourself. But imagine knowing each quarter if you're if you're right on track. So that way you can adjust that W-4 and stop having so much money come out of your check where you can use that money to benefit you elsewhere rather than overpaying in taxes. And then at the end of the year, you've figured out in October, let's just say fourth quarter, you figured out, oh my goodness, I'm $2,000 over. So at that time, I would say go exempt for the remaining of that year because you're already overpaid, you know? But imagine had you known that from the beginning of the year, what could you have invested that money in? $2,000 is a lot of money. Time to go shopping. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing you're not supposed to do. That's what you don't do. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. That's that's a great tool. I actually just searched it up. I'm going to use that. I like yeah, it's that. really good. I love it. I love that tool. Mm -hmm. They've been... It's been a few years since it's been out. I don't know. Time flies. So it could be longer than just a few years, but I definitely use it and I love it. Mm, yeah. And then with like tax laws changing and percentages changing, I'm sure that, I mean, it's straight through the IRS site. So it's probably the most current, most accurate. Right from the horse's mouth. There you go. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Thank yeah. you so much, Ben. I'll have to check it out myself. <laughs> Um, let's see, based on, well, I obviously am learning a lot because I'm not a tax advisor. I'm a life insurance agent, <laughs> 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 which brings me to my next question. 
<laughs> does life insurance affect um, your tax filing? That's a really good question because uh, people, probably the average person would say no. And that's true. It does not. But it will if you have received the interest from the earnings in that policy. So if someone chooses to get paid out over a period of time and it's earning interest, so they're receiving the payout plus the interest earned on that payout, then the interest is taxable, but not the death benefit itself. Perfect. All yeah. right. Interest is taxable. Good Which to know. Why in um, an IUL, for example, um, when people say, well, take a loan opposed to withdrawing your, oh. your money, um, it's a taxable event because loans are never taxed ever. Right. Um, but when you're taking it out, that money has earned interest. So you've created a taxable event in the IRS eyes. Okay. Understood. Understood. And is that, is that, so not with the loans, but is that, so, you know, could we relate that to, um, like a lifetime income stream? Um, if, if it's paid out, Depending on the product and if it's paid out where there's interest earned, absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Awesome. So of course, awesome. you know, as an agent, how it's, how it's distributed makes the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, yeah, because you could take monthly, quarterly, mm -hmm. semi-annual, annually. So all of that's going to affect whether you know, that, that event, as you call it, is taxable or not. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of a hard question to say yes and no. It's got stipulations attached to it. But for the most part, if you just remember interest earned, it's going to always be taxable. Mm -hmm. Understood. Understood. Well, um, I love life insurance. I love taxes now. <laughs> I'm going I'm to move. I just move. I just moved to Hawaii. I'm going to move to Texas and live with Pam. <laughs> you, got, you got an extra room, Pam? You got an extra room. Oh, you perfect. You're all set, man. What's the next flight? <laughs> is, is that a taxable life event that we've mentioned earlier? Right. I'll adopt her. I'll just play it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Nice. Oh. I, I got a question for you, Pam. So earlier you mentioned, you know, regarding that checkup tool and knowing whether you've paid too much or you haven't paid enough, um, what are your thoughts on, there There seems to be a lot of hype on getting a big tax return, right? And what are your thoughts on getting a big tax return or tracking it and trying to get close to breaking even at the end of the year? Um, what I have to say on big tax returns is t thumbs down. If you are, that's, that's my biggest pet peeve. If you're getting a big tax return, especially if you're a business owner getting a big tax return, I feel like you've totally done it wrong and you've wasted, you've lost out on opportunities. And the reason why I say that is because as an individual, if you're getting a huge tax return, then to me, you've overpaid, you've, you've allowed the IRS to have money tax-free 
They don't, I mean, interest free and you know, it, it's ridiculous. Would you, would you loan your money out to someone just to, for them to return it in a year and you make nothing from it? What benefit do you get from that? As a business owner, if you're getting back refunds, that means that you simply was writing checks to the IRS and I mean, for no reason. I can't, I can't imagine a reason someone would want to just keep sending checks just to get that same amount back. Now, if you're sending a check off to someone because you're earning interest off that money, great. But why send it off and you're not earning any interest? Makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, so I think I'm not so. a fan of refunds. I'm only a fan of refunds when it's a refundable credit, meaning that there's really no liability there, but they're giving you a credit because something like earned income tax credit, which those people are lower income individuals. And even those individuals should be very smart with how they're allowed, allowing taxes to come out of your check. If you know you're going to get a big refund and you're a low income earner, then you should definitely be planning uh, your money around those refunds that you know you're going to get that are pretty big. And it's easy to do, especially with Danny and Gordon here. They got some absolutely amazing strategies that could help an individual who's low income earner all the way to your high income earners and business owners. Everybody has a place when it comes to putting your money to work. It's almost like, it's not almost like, it's exactly like hiring an employee. When you hire an employee, you hire that employee to make to earn your in your your revenue in that business, right? So if that employee just sits there and not do the work, meaning you don't get the revenue you plan, and I and you pay them ten an hour, and they're not bringing in doing their part, you're losing money. But if you put your money in the right place, you hire your money as your employee, and you put ten dollars in, and it's earning fifteen an hour. That's that's a no brainer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Put your money to work for you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we hire an employee and, and they don't do the work, we fire them. Same right. thing with your money. If it's not earning money, you fire what you're doing with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I like that. I like the way you say that. Yeah. And there's so many different strategies to make your money make money exactly. and protect and keep it safe, too. Um, with, and that's a really big thing that, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily aren't educated about, you know, we're talking about education, not, not having the knowledge. Um, so if, yeah, if we can break even and, you know, as you said, you don't like refunds, but learn if we're not getting a refund or as you said, with the business, um, utilizing that $2,000 or whatever it was to invest it into other assets. Um, that's, you know, that's huge then. And that could, you know, whatever it is that you're investing in, in at that point, um, you know, you, you could invest in something that could get you, a uh, a, a return that's higher than the tax refund. That exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> waiting to get so I mean, the refund was already your money right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think that i think for some folks um they they're the the concept of the fact that you're giving them money every time you get paid part of your money is going to the government mm 
So it's your money. And then at the end of the year, you're just reconciling. You're just saying, okay, I gave them this much. I was only supposed to give them this much. So the government's going to basically the government was like, we took more. So here's, here's the difference. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're giving you their money. You right. Know? And, right. And I think that's part of that concept is that people aren't really paying attention to the fact that their money is going to the government and then at the end of the year, the government just wants to make sure that the numbers are right. And if you mm -hmm. paid more, they'll give you some back. If you didn't pay enough, mm -hmm. then you're my money. having to pay them. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they're not playing when it comes to their right. money. And, you know, another thing too, Gordon, is uh, they they absolutely believe that. But then there are some out there who um, overpay because they look at it as a savings for them. Yeah. And they don't realize that there are just so many other places, even if it's not insurance, you got a high yield and savings account that you can put money into if you if an insurance product isn't working for you. So there are so mm -hmm. many other ways that you can put that money and it still be savings where, um, you know, you just kind of work, got to work on your discipline on not touching it. But, you know, exactly. it's very cool. And that's going exactly. back to cash, creating that habit. Um, yeah. The H from cash is creating habit and the skill to understand the whole thing, knowledge, attitude, habit, and skill. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it applies to everything. Yep. Yeah, very true. I love it. I'm going to write that on my mirror. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cash. 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 Cash is king, baby. <laughs> Can you guys hear my hear my rooster over there? <laughs> it's going off again. <laughs> I was I was telling Gordon this morning I was trying to record a video and you could just hear. <laughs> so um speaking of pets, <laughs> is it possible to write your pet off on your taxes or my rooster or my dog? <laughs> it it absolutely is. You just gotta get creative. Um the only thing about the whole pet write-off thing, you know, back in the day, people used to really try to to put their pet on the tax return, um, you know, but now, you know, we went all these years knowing that a pet is not a tax deduction. It was, com it was compared to their dependents. It's pet isn't, it's your dependent, but it's not your dependent in the IRS eyes. However, if you are clever enough to be able to turn it into, there's three categories when you're talking about a pet, you can, you can turn it into a business, you can, um, well, you can turn it into a business or you can use that pet in your business or you can use it in a charitable, medical charitable type situation. So if you're using it in your business, you got people who use cats for pest control, dogs for security, um, advertising strategies. There's a lot of different ways that you can get really creative when you're using your pet and you can turn that pet into a deduction, you just got to understand how to stay away from falling into the hobby category. So the, the way to do that is you want to be sure that you are, it's clear that your intent is to be profitable. Okay. So if you're using it in your business, it has to make sense. If you're using, if I use my Yorkie, for advertisement, that advertisement better make sense. So if 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 I take it with me to different trade shows and there's something, some kind of way I can connect my Yorkie to me talking about business, whatever business I'm in, as long as it makes sense, that Yorkie becomes my tax deduction. If you're looking at 
uh, turning it into a business. I have a Yorkie. And what if I love, what if I, I just enjoy animals? It happens to be a hobby, but can I turn this hobby into a profit? I absolutely can. And then I decide I want to start breeding that Yorkie, you know, so you become a breeder and now you've made a business out of something you already love is very profitable. Now you have tax deductions or then you may be charitable. Maybe I need a service animal. And right. when it's Service animal is absolutely a tax deduction. Perfect. My little, <laughs> he's laying over there in the dirt. <laughs> I'm going to name my little uh, Chihuahua Jack Russell mix my security guard. <laughs> See, you're a Chihuahua. I don't know, but you know, some people have animals on their yard that they have to round up and they use a dog to do it. I don't know if a chihuahua could do it, but just imagine your little chihuahua rounding up all the chickens. If it makes yeah. sense, there it he, is. <laughs> he doesn't bother them too much. He he mostly just wants to chase the tennis ball, but well, I'm going to find uh, a job for him and it's not going to be a hobby. So I will be able yeah. to write him off. I'm going to put him to work. <laughs> hey, hey, Danny, you're, you're kind of young, but here in in san diego and i don't remember where exactly and it might have been some in la too but there's this guy called cal worthington i don't know if you ever heard of or remember I, cal worthington i think so he was, yeah he, he owned a, a a bunch of car dealerships right and on his commercials that his tagline was cal worthington and his dog spot and <laughs> so in his commercials he he's like a cowboy guy he's got a suit on his cowboy hat and he would have different animals, bears and tigers and like chimpanzees, all in his commercial, just kind of being, you know, you know, just grabbing people's attention, right? Attention yeah. grabbers. So I could see Danny with a chicken in one hand, a rooster in one hand, and her chihuahua in the other hand, talking about life insurance and cash values. And you know. I am, I hey. literally, my wheels are turning. There you go. See, no joke. Like, I'm going to make it happen. See, it's possible. And even even decor, people, fish tanks. Oh, oh yeah. That's decor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You put a fish <laughs> tank behind you when you're recording your marketing videos. Exactly. There you I, go. Wow. I never I would have never thought of a fish tank. That's so why all you guys need to in the audience, you gotta call Pam because she, she she'll work that for you. Yeah. She's Absolutely. she's making everybody's tax dreams come true this year. Light bulbs going off right now. We <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and transition into um. We did individual. Um, we did kind of touch base on some business aspects of taxes. Um, but um, we've got. I think we've got some questions maybe other people also need these questions answered um i guess uh does a small business have the same tax benefits as bigger companies um you know what i think that a lot of people when they start their uh sole proprietor meaning that you just went out there and did a dba and you're just doing business um they think that they don't have many deductions or write-off opportunities available to them. But um, when it comes to larger companies that we think, 
oh my goodness, they're they're big and they're this and they have a brand. Uh, they they you know I don't have the same benefits that they as they do. And the truth is, you absolutely do. Um, with exception of talking about, you know, corporations or how companies are set up as far as their entities. But if you're just comparing yourself to, you know, your own individual self versus someone out here who's maybe in, they have an LLC, but they're huge. Maybe they elected it as S Corp. For the most part, we all have the same, the tax code applies to all of us. So you go and you pull the tax code. It's huge. There's no one person out there that knows all the tax codes. Um, so the answer to that question is absolutely. Uh, and in a general sense, uh, if you're small or, or just starting out, you as long as you're the the you just need to when you start your business, you just need to make sure that a transaction is happening. Once that transaction happens, that means that that business is in place. And when your business is in place, now you're open to the same tax deductions or tax codes as anybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. nice. That makes sense. I was unaware. I didn't know if, if um, maybe like potentially like how many employees affected that or, you know. You get into, that's when you get into, you know, structuring and there are different there are different opportunities that will come to those with employees. Yes. So maybe bigger companies will have more simply because how they're set up, but the basic deductions, as far as running the business, it's still the same, same for both. But okay. when you start employing people, then you're opening up other opportunities for the, for deductions. So okay. it may, you know, one set of deductions may apply to, one certain company because they do have employees and I'm over here just self-employed with no employees where of course I don't have all of those opportunities, but right. I can, but the, the moment I hire an employee, then I still have the opportunity. So technically, yes. Uh -huh. What, what stage or phase you're in. Okay. Hmm. I thought you hired your Yorkie. No, I could. <laughs> I could <laughs> hire him. Director of marketing for production. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I could. He's not ready yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, a little he's, more training. he's still in training. Yeah. Exactly. 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 <laughs> you know, I may I may hire him on the advertising side. I do get a lot of likes on my posts when I post him opposed to me. So mm -hmm. he may work out. All right. Well, I hope it works out for you. <laughs> I just put a little note in his mouth and let him walk, and there it goes. <laughs> That's perfect, man. We're gonna be throwing ideas off of you each may other. Go viral. <laughs> our group, our group, our group text is gonna be just ping, ping, ping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, all right, back on track. What you got, G? <laughs> So I, I have a question. So you and you had talked about this. We did the other the other podcast regarding uh, tax uh, strategies and different things like that. And you talked about purchasing a vehicle for the tax benefits. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think it's overly advertised on social media because it's kind of putting that message out there to go purchase uh, a G-Wagon. That's the name I couldn't think of. That's the one you were talking oh, about? Yeah. Those Mercedes, okay, yeah. Go purchase that G-Wagon, you know, and everybody's eyes light up. And 
uh, they're telling the truth, you know, it's, it's, it's real, but to do it just for the credit, I don't think it's smart because you're still put, you're still taking on a, a, a liability, um, at the end of the day. And if it's not, if it doesn't make sense for your business. So sometimes, um, there was a, someone asked me and, uh, I mentioned, I, I forgot what, what kind of business they were doing, but think about, Think about being a, if you had a business, okay, an insurance agent, but you're a virtual agent. You only do telesales, right? Okay. Meaning that in, in an insurance agent's industry, it's a no-brainer to drive to your client's house or place of business, right? But if you're a teleagent, you're in one place for at least eight hours, on the phone. So is there really a need for a vehicle? Right. So even if I'm earning the proper income and I say, you know what, I'm going to go purchase that G-Wagon because I can get a deduction. Well, if I'm using, especially if it's one vehicle, if I only own one vehicle and not two. So if I own this one vehicle, I go out and I go get this G-Wagon just for the tax credit. I don't even use it in my business. Right. I may use it to go pick up a few supplies, but the difference is if I had two vehicles I owned and I used one vehicle only for business, I don't care if I pick up, I got a schedule of picking up supplies weekly. Um, I have to go to the mailbox, you know, to the post office so many times a week. Now I'm picking up some mileage, right? This is me having two vehicles. Then does it kind of make sense th there? Yes, because I can honestly say, no, I use this vehicle for business 100% or 80% of the time. And I have my other vehicle available for my personal use. But if you have one vehicle and you're saying that you're a telesales and you, this vehicle is for business, then I'm going to have to question that because why why are you saying to me that this vehicle is 100% used for business? You don't have another access to another vehicle for personal use and you work from home. You don't, you really don't move. So now I have a concern. So to answer your question on the vehicle, if you're in a, in a business that requires a lot of travel for that business, it makes absolute sense. If you're in a business that you don't really drive a lot, it makes no sense, not just to take the deduction. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, oh. I did a quick search right now on G wagons and the average lease on a 2023 Mercedes Benz G wagon is 2660 per month. That's more than I pay on my mortgage for my house. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that so. tax credit better be really good for me it to be it will be good. It's very attractive, very wow. attractive. And I am a fan of it. But the only problem is it's just not for everybody. And right. I think that's where the misconception is across social media. Yeah, it's got to make sense. Yeah. So if you are a business owner and you but you only have one vehicle, but it's strictly used for your job, um, then then would it be beneficial to utilize that? Because do you have to have two no matter what? 
No, you can use your, so there's, uh, aut automobiles are really good for, uh, are really good strategies because when you have one, you just have to keep good records because a hundred percent, it's either going to be, if it's a hundred percent use, it's only going to be for business or personal. It can't be a hundred percent for both. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you're going to have to break down the percentage use for business versus personal. And that's what goes on the return. If okay. it's only one vehicle, now you're opening up different strategies because I may be able to take a, 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 a deductions that are depreciation, mileage, leasing, or whatever qualifies. You you want to do uh, you want to compare them to see which avenue is going to be the best, the actual method or the uh, the other method for um, for that vehicle. But when you have more than one, then you're opening up more opportunities to get better write-offs on that vehicle. But if you're okay. dealing with just one vehicle, you definitely want to make sure that you're keeping those records across the board, whether you have one or more. But you want to know what percentage am I using this vehicle for business? What percentage am I using for personal? So then okay. that goes into those that do DoorDash, um, you know, Uber, all those things. Some of these people who do that have that, that's their personal vehicle. And it's their company vehicle, right? So when they're looking at the reports from Uber or DoorDash, they're actually able to see that, okay, I drove 60 miles this year. This report shows 40 miles driven for Uber. Uber. So what mm -hmm. does that mean? You figure out your, your, your calculation on what percentage of this was business, what percentage of this is personal. Okay. You have two vehicles. You take that scenario. And sometimes you drive your vehicle. Sometimes you drive that second vehicle. Why? Because you want to put yourself in position to, to, to get a bigger tax deduction versus using just one for just mm -hmm. one depreciation or mileage or whatever, whichever, whichever deduction fits your um, business situation. Thank you. It's wow. a lot that goes into that automobile. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. It's could be its own its own yeah. episode. <laughs> and that's another thing too. It's so much that go into it that the piece that goes that's being given across social media is leaving out all the additional things when it comes to it. So it's something that if you're gonna look into it, you really do want to look at the comparison on how should I deduct this vehicle because depreciation isn't always the best. Right. Okay, good to know. And based on, you know, we're talking about deductions and all of that stuff. Um, what if what what if I can't pay my taxes? Should I still file them? Yes. Um, yes, because you 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 get punished for not paying. I mean for not pay, filing. So you definitely want to file it and figure out how you're gonna pay it later. The IRS has plans you can get on. Uh you could probably even be forgiven. Uh, depending on what your situation is. But at minimum, you want to make sure you get that tax return filed so that there's no way that they can come after you for not filing. Right. Not being that something different, it could be worked out. But not filing, there's no working that out. Okay. Cut pretty cut and dry. I like it. That was yeah. a simple one. <laughs> That's probably the only print. thing cut and dry today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh boy. 
My brain's gonna be my brain's working in overload. I have so many things going on in there. Just, just all of the education. I'm like, man, this is this is too good. Too good. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. <laughs> Uh what what you got, G? yeah i have a question so if i'm small the question would be do i still need a board of advisors or directors Yes, this is something that is overlooked across the board. Uh, people are so quick to go out and start an LLC and they, they skip this step. This skip this step is skipped 99% of the time. And it's because it's never really talked about. And uh, so earlier we were talking about how, Gordon, you have your wife and I believe you said four sons. And we talked about the cash myth, the cash perspective, the acronym. And uh, you mentioned how, you know, it's really difficult to get everybody on the same page. Well, that's where your board of advisors come in when you're dealing with a business. And I'm speaking from a family perspective because, you know, it kind of fits with what we're talking about today with insurance agents and taxes and how the family is affected. So when you start your business and let's just say you start an LLC, you want to name your family members as your board of advisors. Why? Number one is asset protection. It's going to keep uh, your business protected. Uh, for example, if someone sued you, uh, if someone sued the company and there's this thing that we refer to as minutes that are being kept. Uh, sometimes you could do annual minutes, but if you want to be more consistent, you could do monthly or quarterly minutes. But when you start an LLC and you're not keeping those minutes, and you get sued, the fact that you don't have minutes could cause you to lose your LLC protection rights. Um, so having a board of advisors helps you to put things like this in place. Uh, it makes you a better business owner. Uh, you're being more accountable. You're teaching your kids. Uh, you're teaching them how back to cash. You're teaching them that you give them that knowledge of a business. You're giving them that attitude behind money. They're understanding skills. They're picking up skills uh, that they can use in their own businesses, in life, on, even on their jobs. And uh, they're creating habits. You know, you meet monthly, quarterly, annually. It, it then becomes a habit. It's that family bank that we're talking about again. This is part of that family bank. And those habits that create is still a part of your wealth, meaning that this tradition now is going to be passed down And it becomes, well, this is what we know. This isn't, it's, it's almost second nature to them. And so they become better business uh, people too. And um, it, it just overall, oh, it also opens up tax deductions. So in, within, in addition to the assets that it will create, as far as asset protection, in addition to being a better business owner, you now, when you take those trips, I think we talked about this on the last podcast, you now can go to Disney World, entertain the family, and have your board of advisors meeting right there and create an environment where you're able to write that entire trip off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i i need to do a family business trip to italy or something like that is what i mean Now, things are different. The rules kind of change <laughs> when you go to a different country. But, oh boy oh man yeah, they it kind of because that's another it's that's another podcast <laughs> I would have.
I would have never thought of that, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but you know, if you if you have an annual family trip that you get a chance to deduct, that's amazing. Yeah. I'll be taking advantage of that. <laughs> Can it invite Mickey and Goofy and Donald to your meeting, you know, right in the middle of Disney World? Mm -hmm. Right. It even opens up opportunities to to pay your family member too. So if you're looking at hiring your child and you know, you're paying that your children, uh, they're on the board. So you can oh. pay for being on the board. Awesome. I wow. Like that. Thank you. It's all intertwined together. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how, yeah. how, how so much of it can go into just this one cohesive. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, including myself, a lot of individuals that don't understand um, how to make all of this work together and flow to their to their advantage. So thank you, man. You're welcome. What um, about what it boils down to is the money's gonna be spent either way it go. It's just how am I gonna spend it? Right. Yep. Um let's see. We were talking about home working from home um that's what i do i'm i mean granted my office isn't <laughs> i can't complain about that um you were talking about it snowing uh gordon's over there i know it's cold in california um but um what exactly is the home office tax deduction and how can i apply it to my refund well, uh, home office. Now, the home office deduction is it, it is really a, a huge deduction that's overlooked because a lot of people feel that it's a risky uh, deduction to take. And there's a myth that if you take it, then your return, you're likely to be audited. Uh, number one, if you're keeping good records, there's really no need to be concerned with an audit. Uh, so, you know, it's like, okay, I got audited. Here you go. You know, if you, if you keep good records is so what if I get audited? Mm -hmm. Uh, secondly, I just want to kind of get rid of that thought process behind having a home office because, uh, you do, like you said, Danny, you work from home. So why not take the, uh, the deduction that is given to you? It's in the tax code. It is applicable take the deduction and so there's two um it's the simple there's two methods there's a simple method and the um simple method simplified method and, and regular method so okay. when you want so let's talk about individuals first there are a lot of people who have w-2 jobs that work from home and I get this question every single year. I work from home can I deduct my office? No you cannot because you're an employee. So employees have absolutely no benefits when it comes to working from home. But the flip side to that is you can go to your employer and ask them, could they work out something where there's a reimbursement for working from home? So whether it be your internet reimbursement, your cell phone reimbursement, some type of reimbursement they can put into place. And when you get reimbursement, when you get reimbursed, that is not taxable income. So anytime your, your employer reimburses you that's just money that you're being paid back it is not taxed on the tax return it is not added to your income 
on the W-2 as taxable wages. Um, as a self-employed or even a business owner that has an LLC with employees that maybe even turned it into S-Corp, those people can take this home office deduction, home office deduction, home office deduction is, sorry, it was a tongue twister. <laughs> when you're doing the home office deduction, the, the key is you don't want to get greedy and um, aggressive with it. Take what you take what is owed to you and keep it moving. It's a, it's a big advantage on the tax return. I don't care how small your office is, take the deduction. You know, it's something and it all adds up. Um, and for those that have side gigs, um, it, whether it's a side gig or maybe you have, I used to have my home office and then I had a physical office um, outside of my home. Um, you still can deduct your home office and it's making sure that your home office is where the administrative work is done. So now what you've done is you've created an opportunity to add in more deductions because you're working from two different offices, but one you're saying, well, this is where I do my administrative work and the other is where I'm meeting people. Right. For insurance agents, because, you know, sometimes you go and meet people. Most times you're working from home. Um, you can take this deduction and uh, it wouldn't be a problem. And you'd be surprised at how huge. So imagine your personal vehicle, you're driving it to your to your job and you wasn't taking the home office deduction. You're taking it to your, you're driving it to your office every day. So mm -hmm. what you can do is those trips back home to your administrative office or trips in between your day, you can turn about, 3,000 miles into a deduction simply by having that home office that you've created as your administrative office. If you're an S-Corp, uh, the S-Corp takes it off of their business return as a deduction. And then the S-Corp that you own in turn reimburses you as the owner or employee of that company. So now what you've done is you've deducted it from the business income and you reimbursed it to yourself personally. So now you've created deduction and you got the money back tax-free. You turned it to tax-free. I don't want to say income, but it's tax-free reimbursement for you. Yeah. Wow. Is it a lizard or a gecko? Or... You see it behind you, Danny? Oh, no. it went to the shed. It made its debut. Oh, yeah, it's a gecko. They're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, Danny, we're reporting live from the jungle. <laughs> right. It distracted me for a small bit, second, but hey, but yeah, that that uh, home office deduction is a powerful deduction, and um, you can get very creative with it. You just don't want to get aggressive with it, right? And you said it has to be a separate room, um, separate room, uh, strictly utilized. Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to have, and it's, and you know what? It's a good idea if you have a home office because you never know what could happen. Take pictures, take pictures of your office because if you're ever in an audit and maybe you moved or something, you want to be able to have those records to show that this was your home office. So, another thing too with the home office, it doesn't have to be one room in the house. I could use a section of my garage for other things that I have to store, files or anything. I could use a, a different closet from the room that I'm in to store my books. 
that is part of my, you know, what I need for my office. So all of those, you calculate the square footage of it all, the total, and that becomes part of your home office. So it could be separate. It could be your main office, the room you use. In addition to that, the extra spaces that you may be using as part of your home office for storage, possibly. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Um, let's see. Dang, we got we got good juicy details today. I'm liking it. <laughs> I feel like we went a little deeper today. Spilling the tea, all the all the tax tea. <laughs> um well um I know that we had mentioned it maybe um and like may necessarily be you know a topic for uh another discussion um but you know because people some people file their taxes with tax software some people like to use um a tax advisor um do you think potentially that you have some time to meet with us again and um, discuss the maybe the pros and cons, the benefits of, of you know, both of those, um, both of the, you know, whether they're strategic, not strategic um, and what the differences are between the two and how they potentially could affect, um, you know, the refund that you get? Yeah, absolutely. I love to share that because, you know, uh, there the, the software, uh, the professionals, there's a place for both. So okay. I would love to come back and share my thoughts on uh, what I feel about the softwares and the professional versus even the individual doing it themselves. Uh, I'd love to come back and share my thoughts on that. Awesome. We would definitely appreciate it. Um, Let's see. G? Any other questions? My brain is an overload, yo. <laughs> no, I, I think we're good. I, I think that was a great, great episode. Um, again, Pam, I really appreciate you taking the time to to jump on this with us and share more information. You know, um maybe you can share, Pam, how people can reach out to you. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want? help with their taxes, if they've got questions or whatever, where can they find you? How can they reach out to you? Uh, thank you, Gordon. I enjoyed you all today. The best way to reach out will be to go to my calendar. That's cal calendly.com forward slash Pajeko. That's spelled P-A-J-A-K-O. Um, again, that's the best way to schedule 15 to 30 minutes with me to discuss whatever your situation is today. Um, you can follow me on all platforms at Pamela at Pajako. Again, that's spelled P-A-J-A-K-O. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook, TikTok. Um, and the X. <laughs> Is it the X? The X. <laughs> you talking about your X. What's this? <laughs> the X. Yeah. Formerly known as Twitter. Formerly known as Twitter. But uh, I'm across all platforms. And uh, put in Pajeko, you're probably only going to find me. I post a lot about different uh, taxes, uh, strategies, as well as insurance with my partners, Gordon and Dean. Mm -hmm. awesome and, and yes. you're you're headquartered in texas but you can help anybody across the country right yes i'm in texas and i do service all states mm, there you go so we all service for 
um, bookkeeping, taxes, strategies, payroll, uh, anything dealing with. So overall, we are advisory, but what falls into that are the different types of services that are needed. Some people have books that have never been touched. Some people are up to date. And so we kind of have that conversation to figure out where you need us. And that's where we fall in place to assist you so that we can get to the main goal, which is lowering your tax liability. There you awesome. go. Love it. I'll be sending plenty of referrals to you. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> um, as Gordon said, Pam, um, we thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Um, your education is a little overwhelming sometimes, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, it's good to have these conversations, especially with the professionals such as yourself, um, to, you know, get people thinking and start really learning as to how, like you said, um, to, to utilize these strategies, um, to their advantage and lower their tax liability. So, um, we thank you so much for your time. Um, we will, look forward to seeing you again here um was did we say the 25th um we said the 25th yes okay so um if you're listening watching um we will be back january 25th um what time is it here? 9 a.m. Hawaii Standard Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and 1 p.m. Central Standard Time for another episode of We Wish You Well. We hope to see you guys next time and hope that you got as much value as we did. Have a great day and we wish you well. Bye. W. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, one second, you guys.